0: that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. I feel this, and this is I launch into my message this morning and as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm really ex- very excited about moving our service to Shabbat. There were apprehensions along the way, you know, as we were trying to uh, present this transition, this change, and change is difficult, no doubt. But now for me, I've turned this corner. I'm real excited about it. And I think God is going to bring great blessing. We've already had, I just got an email from Sheila. You remember Sheila? Who used to come. You may not remember her at all, but she wrote and said, I saw on Facebook or on our website that we're moving to Shabbat. She said, I'm so glad that you guys are doing that. Praise God. I think it'll be a good thing. And I hope that I'll be able to come and worship with you guys again. That's just one of many comments that we're getting, and I think it's going to be a wonderful thing for the next phase of the ministry of Bethel Ariel here in uh, Los Angeles. Also be in prayer for the facilities. There's still, we're still negotiating the potential purchase of this property. We haven't talked a lot about that. I've brought it up. Some people have asked. It's still in the works, still being discussed, still being worked on. So something to continue to bring before the Lord in prayer, because it would be unbelievable if the Lord enabled us to acquire this and provided us with this facility to continue to launch out our ministry for many, many years to come and for particularly the next generation. Because as I see it, the next generation will come in with this wonderful facility, free and clear. Think about that. They don't have to worry about rent, don't have to worry about leasing, just upkeep. That's enough of a headache, but they can worry about upkeep and they'll just have a facility to just go crazy in Los Angeles and bringing the good news to the Jewish people without that particular headache on their mind. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? You know, the next generation of Jewish believers that come in here don't have to think about that. So that is a goal that we ought to have and it will be a great blessing. And I know God uh, would be blessed to do that. We're looking at Ephesians. And I say these things because this passage in Ephesians is in my estimation, the boldest passage in all of scripture. It is no doubt in my mind the boldest prayer uttered in the entirety of God's word. And those of you, those of us who are involved in prayer ministry, whether you get our uh, community uh, prayer and concern, what is it called? Community prayer and care and prayer. I couldn't think of the rhyme there. The community, care and prayer. Those of you who get that, receive it. And if any of you want to receive that, to be in prayer for one another, all you have to do is let Michelle know in the office, and she'll put you on that list, and you'll be informed of the needs that abound in our congregation to be in prayer for. Those of you that come early Donna was here, Eleanor was here, Lorraine was here. While we were rehearsing, they were upstairs praying for our congregation. Those who gather afterwards, like Linda McDill, Beverly has been over there, Mitch is over there, who are available to pray with you after the service as a ministry team. And certainly we ought to be in prayer for one another. You can certainly ask anyone to pray for you, that's for sure. But this passage is a passage about how we ought to pray. And I really think this is an area that we all need to grow in and learn about. Because when you read Paul's prayer, this is an unbelievable prayer. It's unbelievable with respect to its boldness and with respect to its scope. So I want to share some ideas with you as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper. And as we observe the Lord's Supper this morning, I want us to be in prayer for one another that God's work in our lives would be truly revolutionary in a way perhaps that he hasn't been before. Those of us who've known the Lord for many, many, many years, we still need greater and greater and greater transformations of his workings in our lives and in our own lives to be transformed. This is for every one of us. Now, if you look at this passage in verse 14 of chapter 3, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith, And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the believers to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Messiah. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Is that not a bold prayer? To be filled with all the fullness of God? oh my goodness, Paul, (laughs) you know, what in the world are you saying? And this is inspired by God himself. Reflect on that a moment, that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How can the infinite fullness of God dwell in finite human beings like you and I? Why would God even concern himself to do such a thing? And yet that's Paul's prayer. And look how he ends. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably measurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is in work within us, to him be the glory in the congregation of believers, in Messiah Yeshua throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. There is no prayer like this in all the Bible. Check it out as much as you like, and there may be other prayers you would prefer, but this is the boldest of all prayers in all of God's Word. Now, check this out. Notice the triune nature of this prayer, that we would have the full strength of empowerment by the Spirit of God, that Messiah may dwell in us richly, that God the Father's fullness might dwell in us, there is that triune reference to the very nature of God, his spirit, His Messiah, our Messiah, his son, and the very nature of God himself. Notice three times in this passage, Paul will speak about praying for power. Praying for the manifestation of God himself within our midst. Notice this prayer is not an insipid prayer. Maybe I shouldn't use that word. But so often our prayers are about us. And Paul's prayer is about our innermost being. I do not say we should not pray for those things that are external to us. We should pray for work if we need money. We should pray for a place to live if we need a roof over our heads. We should pray that the Lord might bring healing if we are being uh, hurt by physical Uh, Things that go on in our life, sickness and ill health. But look at Paul's prayer. None of that here whatsoever. Paul's prayer is about our innermost being. Who are we really inside? It makes no difference what happens to us circumstantially if all things are right with God inside. Remember, Paul is a prisoner in Rome a prisoner under great duress. We have no idea about his physical nature as such, except we do know that he's losing his sight because in the book of Corinthians, he had besought the Lord three times to take this thorn of the flesh away from him. We suspect it's his vision. I think it's a good guess. Because in some of his later epistles, he says, Looks with, look with what large letters I write these, the, this letter to you. Look with what large letters I'm writing. We know that at his time of his coming to faith, he was blinded by the very glory and majesty of Messiah's presence. So it seems that indeed one of the struggles he had, although we don't know for sure, may very well been the loss of his vision. Whatever it was, he besought the Lord three times to take it away, and the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you. Here, Paul's prayer is all about who we are inside our very innermost being. Notice Paul's posture. It says he kneels before the Lord, he kneels before our Heavenly Father. What might that have looked like to this Roman soldier that he was now chained to in a prison. You know that that Roman soldier was not far from the kingdom of God. If you're chained to Paul, you're coming to faith pretty quick at some point, you know? And there he is kneeling with a chain around his legs, arms, his waist, who knows how they chained him up, and he's praying to God. In Scripture, posture does not matter whether you kneel Abraham stood before the Lord when he talked with him about the situation at Sodom and Gomorrah. David speaks about sitting before the Lord in prayer. The psalmists speak about lying down before the Lord on their bed, going to sleep or waking up and praying to the Lord. Daniel kneeled before the Lord. Yeshua threw himself down upon a rock in the garden of Gethsemane, in humble adoration before the Lord. Solomon stood in the temple and then fell prostrate as he prayed. It matters not what posture your body makes or takes, but it does matter what posture your heart has. Every heart must kneel If we're going to be in prayer and expect God to make a difference in our lives. That means we must come to God humbly. We must come to God recognizing we are in great need for him. And that without him, as Yeshua said, we can do nothing. So what does Paul pray? First of all, he says, as he kneels before the Father in heaven, notice his focus is on the family of God. He's praying for the believers at Ephesus and perhaps believers across the world, around the globe. He's praying for individuals. And notice the first thing. We can't take too much time because of all that's going on this day. But notice, first of all, he prays for the, the empowerment of the Spirit of God to strengthen us. Notice this phrase. In the New International, it says that he might strengthen us out of his glorious riches. But the Greek word here really means in accordance with his glorious riches. Now on the surface, those two words may not seem differently, but think of it this way. Let's say you are a billionaire and you decide to help somebody out by buying them a tank of gas and you've given them a hundred dollars to fill up their car with gasoline. You have now provided them out of your riches. But if you instead decide, I'm not going to give them just $100 for their car, I'm going to give them a million dollars for their life. Now that individual has given in accordance with his riches. What Paul is saying is the Lord is ready to empower us and strengthen us in accordance with the power and might that he has. That means he can transform us in great measure. It's interesting Paul thinks about strength. Because he had just said, if you look at chapter 3, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings. What is Paul thinking? We all suffer on some level or another. Paul's suffering was a physical one as he was presently in prison. Paul had been beaten up and left for dead on numerous occasions. Paul had oftentimes gone without food and shelter over his head. Paul had experienced shipwrecks now, now and again. Paul had faced rioters and those that sought to kill him at every turn. His sufferings were very clear for everyone to see. Not all of our sufferings are easily seen. Sometimes those sufferings are deep down inside. But God's power and might is in accordance with his riches to strengthen you, to empower you, whatever struggle you are going through. And we all go through our struggles. We struggle with temptation and therefore we need the strength of the Lord to help us resist temptation. We struggle with the evil one who would want to destroy us, and we need the strength of our Lord to flee from him, to remember the word of God and say, it is written, it is written, it is written, as Messiah said to the evil one himself. We have to ask sometimes God for strength as we're about to share our faith with others that we really would not like to share our faith with. I think I told you when Mary Lou and I were flying to the East Coast, I generally just like to close my eyes, I don't listen to music, I put earplugs in my ears these days, and I just sit and close my eyes and hope that I just fall asleep. I told you Mary Lou helped me with that on one of my trips, she said, take this, you'll sleep well. (laughs) And I slept and this plane was flying around in circles. When I woke up, I thought I was here in LA, we were still in Germany because the, the plane had some problems. But on our trip back east, there was a Jewish woman who sat down next to me. I was in the middle seat. Mary Lou was by the window. <laughs> and she sat down on the aisle seat. Her husband came up to her and said, hey, you know, my, our son and I were sitting right there. There's a seat right in front of you, right in front of us. She said, no, I'm going to stay right here. Put the earplugs in, closed my eyes, went to sleep. I don't want to talk to anyone. As we're getting ready to land, I take the earplugs out. She says, is this your last stop? And I said, yes, we're stopping here." I said, for you? Is this your last stop? And she said, no, I'm heading up to Massachusetts. Oh, Massachusetts. Lou. she's from Massachusetts. You want to switch seats and you can talk with her, you know. And so we talked about the same area. She was headed to the same area we, we lived. And she said, let me ask you a question. Are you a rabbi? <laughs> and I said, sort of <laughs> Why? Why do you ask? She said, well, it doesn't have anything to do with the beard or anything You just seem like you would be a rabbi <laughs> And I said, well, uh, I am And she said, where are you uh, uh, a rabbi? I said, well, right at Beth Ariel at for Sadekoi- Oh, I live right over in West Hills I said, really? We live right over in West Hills <laughs> And then we got into this whole conversation about this area. And she said, you know, my husband is Catholic. I'm Jewish. We've been thinking about the spiritual needs that our family has. When do you have your services? I said, well, in September, we'll be having Shabbat services on the 21st. And, you know, and we have our Holy Day services coming up. Sometimes we need strength to share our faith, especially when we would prefer not to, for whatever reason. We need the strength and empowerment of God to resist temptation, to resist evil in an evil world, a fallen world in which we live. Sometimes we need strength to love our neighbor as ourself. Sometimes we need strength to speak the truth in love. Sometimes we need strength to make hard choices and decisions, such as the transition we are making here at Beth Ariel. We need the strength and empowerment of the Spirit of God. You want to experience the spirit and strength of God? If there's something you know that God might be in and you don't want to do it, join up. God's strength is not found when we don't need it. God's strength is experienced when we do. And so if moving to Shabbat is a problem for you, ask God to give you strength. Don't bail on him. That is, if you want to experience the strength and empowerment of the Spirit of God. It means doing things that are uncomfortable, doing things that are something that we would prefer not to do. I'm sure Paul would have preferred to have been in a congregation or in a ministry where everyone loved him, where everyone adored him. And in some senses, and in some cases, he did. But for the most part, he was a rejected man. The same is true of Messiah himself. I'm sure if we think about it, though he is sovereign and he knows all things from the beginning to the end, but if we put it in human terms, no doubt when he came, the desire is that they would believe in him and embrace him and honor him as Messiah. But that was not his lot. He was rejected of men. He was despised by others. He himself said a prophet is without honor in his own home. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. It is the strength of the Spirit of God that is experienced in challenging places, not in the easy places. Notice Paul did not say, strengthen me and take away my problems. Free me from this prison. Unshackle me from these chains. He prayed that he would be strengthened in the inner man, To do what God had called him to do despite the challenges he would face, despite how uncomfortable it might be, despite how dangerous it might become. When I think of one of my students who wants to go to Pakistan, I I said to myself, how could she do this? But it doesn't matter. The strength of God's presence by his Spirit is enough to enable us to do his will wherever we might be found and wherever he might lead. Now, I've said a lot about this, and there's so much more to say. I'm sorry. But take a look at the second thing, that Messiah might dwell in your hearts. This word dwell, there's two different Greek words for dwell. One word word means to dwell temporarily like Abraham, who was a stranger who dwelt in a strange land, you might say. It could be used that way. It's not used that way of Abraham, but just by way of an example. But the word that's used here is that Messiah may dwell in you permanently. That he would dwell in you and make himself at home in you. The scripture says he, do- he stands at the door and knocks, willing to come in and sup with us if we would open the door for him to do so. This is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about Messiah dwelling fully in our hearts. And that means we must be willing to have him dwell there. And if he's going to dwell there, he must be at home there. He must be welcomed there. And he's welcome where the human heart wants him to rule and to reign. And so he prays that Messiah would not just influence us, would not just impress us, would not even merely bless us, but that he would make himself home within us and we would invite him to do nothing less than to have the fullness of our soul, heart, and spirit. He goes on to say, lastly, That we would know of this love of God that's mentioned three times in this passage as well. That surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In the earlier prayer in chapter 1, he prayed for enlightenment. That they might know God. That's what he says in chapter 1, verse 17 or so that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. His prayer there is enlightenment, to know him. But his prayer here is enablement to experience him in his fullness. That's what the word knowledge in this passage means. That we might, be, uh, that we might know his love and know that love experientially. That we would sort of bask in the love of God, fully accepted and fully ready to convey that love to others. And look how he concludes this section, that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that phrase makes me think, what is Paul thinking? And I don't think Paul really thought very deeply about what he was saying either, because look what he says in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do imaginably more than all we ask or imagine, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, he just asked something that is beyond anything. The fullness of God might dwell in us. God is an infinite being The positive side of it is, for those of us who know the Lord, we have an infinite time with him. (laughs) So he's an infinite being that all of his fullness would impact us, would dwell with us. And we have all of eternity to sort of allow his fullness to continue to enter and to take control. Now, in the final conclusion, let me just share some things with you in verse 20 and 21. This is such an amazing passage as it sort of climaxes into the very presence of God. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. Think of it this way. To him who is able to do all we ask. Let's forget about the other descriptive words for a minute. Now to him who is able to do all we ask. That's not to say he will do all that we ask, but he is able to do all that we would ask. Our God is a living God. I think of the Hebrew scriptures, the history of Israel, the false gods that our people had worshipped and the pagan nations around us had worshipped. They were idols. They could not speak. They could not hear. They could not do anything. But our God is a God who can do all that we ask. He is not limited by what he can do except that which has to do with his own character and nature. But he can do all that we ask. So Paul is saying, ask away. But when you ask, don't fail to ask about the eternal, internal circumstances of your heart, which is vastly more important than the external circumstances that we face. The internal circumstances situation of our heart is for all of eternity. The external circumstances are only in this life. And this life is a very short one. It's a short run, ultimately. But the eternal run is a marathon. And it begins the moment you've invited the Lord into your life. And so he will do all, he can do all that we would ask. Look what else he says. Not only is he able to do all that we might ask, but he would do all that we might imagine. Think of that one. How often have you prayed about certain things, and how often have you just thought about certain things? And you may have concluded that kind of thing is just too big a thing for me to pray about. That is like un imaginable. And Paul says he's able to do what we ask, but he's also able to do what we might simply imagine. And so those of you who are daydreamers, those of you who reflect and think about what could be, Paul says God can answer that thought. You don't have to just ask. You can just wish. As it were, you can just imagine. You can just dream. And Paul says he can do that. He's able to do that. Get this he's not only able to do what we ask or what we imagine, he is able to do immeasurably more than that. I mean, this is just too much, Paul. What's going on? And he's in prison, chained. And he can do more than we might even imagine or think. The fact of the matter is, you and I know that to be true. When I reflect, I'll just share my own life with you, but you can do the same for yourselves. I had no idea when God had spoken to my heart through his word and won me to himself, I had no idea what God was up to with me. It was more than I could ever imagine or ask. As I look back on my life, it is more than I could ever have hoped for. And if I shared with you some of the experiences I had, you would say, that is pretty good. That is pretty neat. Never dreamed ever that I might be at Madison Square Garden and play music to a crowd of thousands. But God had me do that. Never dreamed I would stand on the stage of Carnegie Hall and play to thousands. Never dreamed I would be at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas, where Billy Graham, on a stage where Johnny Cash and others had played. It was unimaginable to me. And I was 17 or 18. He does more than we could ever hope for. Never dreamed that I would be married to a woman with whom I would be married for for 39 years of my life. We've had many circumstances, challenges, as, as all relationships would have. But here we are today, together, and serving God from the day we were teenagers to our day as older, not old, old people, never dreamed someone would love me so much they would never leave me, never dreamed that God would grant us a son in whom we are so marvelously proud, never dreamed that I would ever leave the state of New Jersey, (laughs) let alone, and I love New Jersey, and visit other places, and to serve God and to share his word with people. Never dreamed I'd see the Red Sox win the World Series. I had to just throw that in. But you get the point. Think about what God has done in your life, not the things that are still left undone. And if you come away saying, well, it's not imaginably more, you're not thinking hard enough, and you're not being honest with what God has done for you. He has taken you out of death and given you life and life eternal. And so Paul says that he not only will do what we ask or can do what we ask, not only able to do what we ask or even imagine, but he will do even immeasurably more than we could ever ask or ever think. So how do you conclude that? Well, only the way Paul did. To him be glory in the congregation of believers in Messiah throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for these glorious promises. We thank you, Father, for these, this challenging prayer for us. May our prayers be bold prayers. May they be humble prayers where we kneel before you and not demand. But, Father, may we turn our attention to you and may we pray pray truly meaningful prayers. May we be strengthened by your spirit in our innermost being, for we are weak and in need of your power. Father, may we allow, may we permit Messiah himself to make himself at home within us. May he dwell within us richly. And then, Father, may we be filled with all the fullness of your majesty and of your holy self even as you are conforming us and making us more like your son. Thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence. Help us to ask, for you are able to do. Help us to imagine, for you are able to bring such imaginations into reality. Help us to reflect honestly on where you have brought us. And may that be a signpost to where you will yet us. And thus, may we bring all glory, honor, and praise to you because of our trust and our hope and reliance upon you. John writes in 1 John, and I just want to conclude with this statement, that John writes, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, if we are honest, in other words, about ourselves, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commandments and we do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Yeshua the Messiah, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him. He makes his home in us, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives with us. We know it by the very presence and empowerment of the Spirit of God, which he gives to us. We pray, Lord, this would be true for each and every one of us. For we pray in Messiah's name, amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel with a large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org.